ナモタサバガワトアラハトサマサンブタサナモタサバガワトアラハトサマサンブタサナモタサバガワトアラハトサマサンブタサボタンダマンサンカンナマサミそう、とても、そうだ、このスピーカーは、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、Of course, I know myself, you know, that there's everything can be included into the practice, and this is just a kind of emotion which sometimes arises if there is a lot going on in one's life. And, and then there is a certain element of aversion starts to make itself known in the mind, and, and You know, either one really shuts down and feels kind of quite contracted and、uh, negative, or another reaction I can observe in my own mind is also sometimes then just going into confusion, not being able to really attend to anything because the mind can't settle for anything and can't focus. There's another way how, how it tries to keep stuff out. And... At different times, different strategies, you know, the mind、uh, adapts. But both, both of those strategies, they are very, quite painful. And, and sometimes, you know, I'm stuck in one of those strategies for quite some time until I remember that the best way to meet this is to turn towards it and, and open to it. And that's something that sometimes takes me quite some time to remember it because it feels intuitively, doesn't feel right. Because the whole, the whole body and mind is geared towards escaping from it and starts to, energy starts to race through the body and wants to give the message, you know, run away from it. That's the solution. And I, I think, you know, that's when a very early part of our brain, what's called the reptilian brain, which is all about fight and flight, when that gets activated, it's very, feels very convincing on an instinctual level. And, and the more often we have been able to observe it, the More we will be able to, to use that as, as a trigger, as a, as a signal for stopping and, and turning towards it rather than away from it. Taking, it as a, taking that struggle as a, as a warning signal for stopping and stilling the, the body and the mind and turning towards that which seems to be. Dangerous, or that which seems to be、um, a 
in some way, you know, going against our own good. But only, you know, if we can stop and, and collect ourselves, only then will we be able to connect deep enough with ourselves so that we know what's the right thing to do next. Because if we just stay in that agitated state and try to come up with some kind of a solution with the thinking mind, it will be a very unenlightened solution, be rather you know, confused and, and very much informed by all of those fears which just have been thrown up by, by those different conditions which have been responsible you know, for us feeling the way we feel. So it's not a good strategy. We tend to make then often very wrong moves which we later regret and then we have to you know, deal with it and, and try to undo it and ask for forgiveness and we can make ourselves a lot more work by reacting quickly in order to relieve ourselves from that unpleasant feeling, from that uh, feeling of um, uncertainty and not knowing and we just want to do something quick so that feeling goes away. So if I feel like that, I have made often enough the mistake to react quickly and then regret it that nowadays I'll, I'm quite often know this is something now I have to be really careful. And basically it was the the amount of remorse and regret over having not been careful in the past which has has brought me to to that um, new strength, you know, that I can stop and and look inside and really deeply reconnect with with myself. And you know, just trusting that this process of the body and the mind is has its own intelligence. And if I have the enough awareness and mindfulness and that I connect with it in a deep way, I'll know what to do next. I mightn't know, you know what to do over the next 20 or 30 years, but I certainly will know what the next step is. And that's, that's good enough because that's what I have to know. And then after that, the next one and the next one. So. And I also remember a very lovely... Um, quote from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. He says, you know, if you're afraid or if you're worrying, if something can be done about it, no need to worry because you just go and do it. And if there's nothing which can be done about it, there's also no need to worry because there's nothing you can do. So I often think about that because it's very true. Yeah. And it's so simple. And it doesn't really matter, you know, what the mind does, because what really matters is what, you know, what we act out and what we speak out. That's what really matters. And I think if we have, you know, enough power of mindfulness to be able to, to just, you know, listen to what the mind has to say and not get intimidated by it, because we have been maybe doing that for 20 years, 30 years, however long we are practicing, there is a time, certainly, you know, when we get fed up enough that 
a certain space starts to arise that we are not anymore so totally identified and intimidated by what the mind does. And also the feelings, you know, which sometimes they are very often accompanying certain habitual you know, thought patterns. They, if they start running, first maybe on an unconscious level and then they become a bit more conscious, they often you know, kick in also very powerful feelings of feeling kind of really, really very tired and really, really dreary and depressed and all of those feelings, they are very difficult to hold steady with because they are so deeply unpleasant. And they have this edge of, you know, we become more and more aware of the uncertainty and the groundlessness of of being a human being. And certainly, I, I, I listened to a talk of, of someone, I think, two days ago, and he said, his teacher said... Uh, that um, the teaching of the Buddha, they have good news and bad news. And he says the, the bad news is that he'll ask you to jump out of an aeroplane without a parachute. This is the bad news. And the good news are that there is no ground for you to, to kind of bang onto <laughs> because it is just a constant free fall from birth to death. So I was thinking, yes, that makes sense to me. And if, if you can see it that way, it's you know we could also enjoy that that flow or that because it's not a fall then because we're never going to land on anything and hurt ourselves. But it's it's more a free flow, and there's lots of space there, and it can become like a creative process instead of despairing it can become a what Trungpa Rinpoche calls it creative despair so you're using that energy and turning it into an adventure of, of just getting to know what's really going on and for that we have to open and that's quite difficult sometimes and we can feel like so stuck in the, in the fear and in the habitual ways of relating to this uncertainty. Like, you know, when you get stuck with a car in the mud, if you just, if you press down the, the accelerator, you're just going to get stuck more. So force really doesn't help to introduce demand to a more wise relationship to this uncertainty. But... If we start you know, to reflect on our experience, for example, in terms of the, of the three characteristics, which, which are one way you know, of, of uh, encapsulating what wisdom is all about in the Buddhist teaching, this emptiness or the three characteristics, that's a way how uh, wisdom can be explained, how the Buddha understood what wisdom is all about, understanding the emptiness of all formations, starting with impermanence and then coming to the unsatisfactoriness or unstability and uh, not-self, essencelessness of all phenomena. So if we start to 
investigate our experience according to those uh, principles, which are laws of nature and which we can you know, see in all forms and in everything which is arising and ceasing, all you know, all forms which we can perceive through the six sense organs, all of those forms, they share that in essence. In essence, they are all the same. And, you know, if we feel we are stuck, you know, and the wheels are just kind of turning and turning and the mud is all over the place and we just go deeper and deeper into the mess, if we, if we start to reflect in that way, that immediately, you know, takes us out from, from spinning the wheels. It takes us into, into a place where there's more space there and, and a, a lightness and a buoyancy because we see it's not our mistake, there's no nothing which we have been doing wrong, but this is just like we have been overlooking some of those laws of nature which are constantly operating if we are conscious of it or not. But if we are conscious of those laws, they immediately bring some some space and buoyancy into our Lives. And then, you know, suddenly we are able to come out from this mess, slowly but surely. And, and then we need a certain amount of skillful means, like when you want to come out from the mud with your car, you have to maybe put some pieces of wood or, or something to help, you know, to get some gumption so we can come out. And I think in, in case of of being really stuck in... in some of those mind patterns, what we really need most of all is um, you know, loving kindness with ourselves and compassion with ourselves. And that, that willingness you know, to, to treat ourselves just like how we would treat a little child because if we are stuck in those patterns, this is exactly what is reawakened within us. It's these very early, early patterns of, uh, of relating which come from our very early childhood. And, you know, if a child is afraid, if you, if you kind of try to talk the child out of it or, or punish it for being afraid, it, it will not help at all. Only a kindness can help. And if we've done that often enough, then... A certain capacity is developed. I think we can call it inner strength. Then we can be able, and we can stop in our tracks and and just turn turn towards that frightened little child within ourselves, and just embrace it and uh, and be with the energy. which sometimes it can feel like a big storm and, and then another times it can feel like being totally stuck in the in a very sticky mess. So there's so many different feelings which we consider unpleasant and we you know, have this automatic response of aversion, of, of t- turning away from it. The word aversion is, comes from the Latin word virto, which means to turn. And this is exactly how it feels energetically. The whole system doesn't want to be there, it just wants to turn away.
And there's basically two forms of this turning away. One is like the more aggressive one, it's like anger. And the other one is more retreating, turning away like fear. And both of them are uh, basically rooted in, in, uh, in delusion. The delusion of separation, that there is anything out there or in here which can you know, destroy what we call, what's the ego. And in reality, there's nothing which can destroy the ego because the ego doesn't exist. So it's a it's a big mess of of delusion which we are carrying around in our minds. And if we are fed up enough with this uh, constant. Act, reenacting, you know, of these delusions and these patterns. If we are fed enough, fed up enough, the the time comes when we just make the decision that there's nothing whatsoever where what we cannot learn from, because everything in our lives can be can be food for practice. And we have even one one book in the kitchen on the free distribution shelf of Ajahn Chah's teachings. It's called Everything Teaches Us. Because really everything, everything can teach us. There's no exception. We just have to be fed up enough so that we don't want to run away from it any longer because we have been running for many lifetimes and maybe 30, 40, 50 years, depending how old you are. And then maybe we just want to stop running because it hasn't worked until now. And running away is just not working. You know, this longing is always inside, wanting to have something different or wanting to have something more. And, you know, we, we deeply are arranged around this longing. But it's kind of a misunderstanding because what we really are longing for is not for more of this or more of that. What we are longing for is to arrive uh, at, at a stable, at a peaceful place and what we really are longing for that is this this burning of of uh, or this feeling of thirst which is in in a pali language is called tanha which means thirst uh, literally translated you know this this thirst and this burning this running we want it to stop and because we are ignorant which we, we think you know if we get this or if we get that or if we have this position or that position, it will stop. And there's these three kinds of uh, running away, these three kinds of tanha, according to the teachings. And the first one is kama tanha, sensual desire. So looking for arriving through sense pleasure. The second one is bhava tanha, becoming you know, looking to arrive at a safe place through becoming something, looking for a certain status or a certain way of being. And the third one is, is uh, Vipavadanha, looking to arrive at a stable place through not being something. These three tanhas, Bhavadanha, Vipavadanha and Kamadanha. And 
and they're basically all not really the solution. But what we are really, really deeply longing for is this peace and this ending of all thirst. And this ending of all thirst and of all fire, of burning you know, in the body and in the mind. This ending we can only find by giving up all of those desires of just, um, you know, arriving at at the, at the point when all of the flames go out once and for all. And that is called Nibbana. And the literal translation of that word Nibbana is actually cooling, you know, when the flames have gone out. And that we can only realize that going out of the flames by turning towards the flames and really look what's going on here. What, what process is this that those flames are flaring up again and again? And really getting to know it intimately. That's the way out and the way through. And, you know, what is those, uh, you know, what are the, those causes and conditions which make those flames, you know, go up really big time? In the, in the teaching of the Buddha, one way how this process can be easily understood is, is through the teaching of the eight worldly winds. They are called in the Pali language the Loka Dhammas. And I have, we have spoken about those a few times already, but I can mention them again. There, there are four pairs of opposites. The one is pleasurable and the other one is unpleasurable. And you can't have one without the other. They can only be understood in pairs of opposite. So if you have one, the other one is following on the foot. So you, you can't have only the good side. You have to take both. And they are gain and loss, pleasure and pain, fame and disrepute, and praise and blame. So gain and loss, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, and fame and disrepute. So these are those four pairs of opposites. And they basically, you know, make the world spin around and around and around. And if we have seen, you know, those uh, four pairs of opposite, if we have seen them operating long enough, at one point uh, a certain disenchantment sets in and, and we have more capacity to, to just let that praise and blame and fame and disrepute and gain and loss and so on and so forth, just let it wash through us without hanging on to it, wanting to have the fame stay forever and wanting to have the disrespute go away and starting to argue with people and so on and so forth and getting more and more entangled and entangled in this net of delusion. And, you know, somebody who can see that that those pairs, they come always in pairs and they come always with the good side and the bad side. Somebody who has really understood that is called in the teachings, and the Buddha is called like that. It's called Loka Vidu, knower of the worlds, because knowing that it's those four pairs of opposite which keeps the world spinning and recreating itself again and again. And somebody who has really seen it in depth, 
just doesn't need anymore to stop the unpleasant and, and have more of the pleasant. And the Buddha himself in his you know his life story we can read after he was fully enlightened he has lots of those things going on in his life. And especially he had one uh, opponent, he was his own cousin, Devadatta, who has been spinning a lot of stories about the Buddha. And he just kept equanimous because he knew the truth and it will show itself in its own time. He doesn't have to argue for it. So he had this equanimity and he had this patience which allowed him to just wait and, and let the truth reveal itself. So, you know, if we do have enough wisdom, then, then we can do that. Because if we have understood deep enough the emptiness of all of this, the impermanence, then, then we have the patience and the ability to just wait and, and, and see what happens next. Then we are able to really fully open to it and not tinker around with it. And then actually the truth will show itself. It's quite effortless. But if we start trying to manipulate it, we, we just kind of get deeper and deeper stuck in, in the mud. Like when we try to accelerate in order to come out from the mud, we just go deeper into it. Just put in some skillful means rather than trying it with force. That's the only thing which will work. I remember you know, a woman, a female Zen master who lived quite close to Amaravati. I've mentioned her, I think, in the past. Her name was Vera Mjokioni, and she actually is from, from Austria. She is from near where I'm born, just like 50 kilometers away. And, and she always, in her teachings, she always spoke about, you know, when this energy is racing through the system, if there's anger or fear, anxiety, whatever, a strong, strong energy... And you feel like, oh, just I just want to do something to get rid of that energy. I just can't bear it. To just reflect on it. This is a very, very precious energy. That's all we have got in order to practice. And to let, you know, to let go of it through the mouth or through acting it out is a grave mistake. This is like if you give away something very precious, it's much better to just keep it and let it refine itself through being with it and, and paying attention to it and being aware of it. So maybe, you know, that's something we can remember next time when something like that happens, to remember it's very, very precious. It's not a bother, it's not a curse. It's, it's, it's a very precious opportunity. For number one, for learning, and number two, it's very important to preserve the energy instead of prematurely using it up with doing something something unskillful. And then later we have to use even more <coughs> energy to make up for all the mistakes we did. And it's just like not a very good way of using what we have got. And an example for this is uh, yesterday a very good friend of mine had a phone call and she, we were speaking about 
fear and things like that. A good friend of hers who is just visiting her at the moment told her a story when uh, a few, maybe like tw 20 years ago or so, she invited His Holiness the Sakya Trinsin. I don't know if I've heard about him. He's quite a well-known Rinpoche. He's the head of the Sakya school of Tibetan Buddhism, one of the four schools. And he is considered, you know, a fully enlightened uh, master. And he, she invited him to come to America because he needed an operation. And she in, organized you know, somewhere in a hospital and, and paid for everything or fundraised for that operation. So he came, I think, with one or two attendants. And in their luggage, you know, they had a briefcase, which one of the monks was, was carrying, a briefcase with lots of... Um, protective stuff which they wanted to take so he could his holiness could have it in his uh, room in the hospital for the uh, for the operation i don't know maybe they wanted to build up a shrine or something like that and they had that briefcase and they were arriving and and then when they were in the airport they were just kind of discussing about things and suddenly they noticed the briefcase was stolen And then they told his holiness the briefcase has been stolen. And he and she said he was very upset, like for about half an hour. And he's he's considered a fully enlightened being, so he was really upset, and he got stressed and so on and so forth. But then after about half an hour, finished. He never mm -hmm. mentioned it again. So he did get upset. So he obviously, you know, had because he has a human body, he had this energy racing through his system. And she, she saw it. But then, you know, because it had a very powerful mindfulness and lots of wisdom, after half an hour it was done and that's it. He never ever mentioned that briefcase again. And he had the operation, it was successful, everything went fine. So I said it's a very powerful example. Yeah, this burning... It is burning of these very strong emotions. You know, we can can really use that as a as a wake up call, rather than feeling defeated and feeling you know that we have done something bad and and because of this we feel now bad. I think this is the assumption we make that if we feel bad, if we feel unpleasant, there is this kind of assumption that we feel kind of crushed by it we, we, we feel diminished by it instead of just rising up to it and, and saying okay it feels really bad but I make some space and if I make some space it won't, there won't be so much friction but we tend to do exactly the opposite we just you know, contract around it and then it's, it's more painful actually so it's not the way to go if we can remember it. And we can use that very burning, you know, that very sensation itself, we can use it to produce enough alertness and presence so we can really see what's happening. It can illuminate the path. This, this fire of suffering rather than you know destroy us 
This is just a, a, a habitual way of thinking. Because when we were, you know, very, very small infants, very helpless infants lying in the cot, not being able to walk or anything, when we had this kind of a feeling, it felt like it's going to destroy us. Because we, there was nowhere to go, there, we had no power to, to do anything, only maybe crying. And if nobody would hear it, it felt like absolutely and utterly the end of the world. And, and now, nowadays, you know, sometimes these same feelings can be activated if circumstances are such. You know, and everything which burns makes a light, makes, makes illuminates. So we can use it for that. That's a very beautiful sentence, which was, uh, I've read that somewhere from Viktor Frankl, who was a man who was in, in the um, concentration camps in the Second World War. He was an Austrian uh, psychotherapist. And he wrote this sentence, you know, saying, uh, everything which burns shines a light and can be used for wisdom and compassion to arise rather than trying to get rid of it and wasting an op another opportunity. And he must really know because if you have been in a concentration camp, you would know about burning, for sure. So, you know, not turning away, rather turning towards it and uh, using it as, as a wake-up call. That's really the best of strategies to meet the eight worldly winds. And then, you know, in time, we just become immune against those eight worldly winds. They still can blow and make a lot of noise and make a mess. But you don't believe anymore that this is something which needs intervention. You can, can just let it be because it's just thoughts and feelings. So maybe next time, you know, when the one of those eight worldly winds is uh, racing through your system, you, you can remember maybe a few words which I have been saying today. I hope I remember it myself. <laughs> because I sometimes forget also still. Yeah. This is... Um, written by Ajahn Buddhadasa and it's a blessing it's called Haipon that means in Thai blessing and he says you know when the eight worldly winds are blowing he said not to be sad not to be glad but with equilibrium forever so maybe you want to have a look at that mm -hmm. this is his handwriting he had a lot of praise and blame in his life. 
he was considered the enfant terrible of Thai Buddhism because he had very uh, creative ways of expressing himself, let's say. So, I hope you can use some of what I've said today and I finish here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.